When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a special edition of History Hack called History Matters, in which a group of historians will tell you will tell you why it's stupid to go around pulling down every statue in the country and judging everybody in the past on our own present set of morals. Uh, What I really like about this is that this is not a group of fusty old right-wing historians or a load of yobbos. This is a group of intelligent young historians from a wealth of different backgrounds that study a wealth of different subjects um, and are more than one ethnicity uh, having an intelligent conversation about this and just bringing it to you with a bit more nuance than, than can be achieved on Twitter, uh, the cesspool that it is, and Facebook and things like that when you're, when you're limited to 240 characters. So Zach White is with us, our Napoleonic historian. He's always with us. We love him. So Zach's a PhD candidate in Napoleonic history. Uh, we have Owen Rees with us. Hi, Owen, who's an uh, ancient historian and author. Hello. Yeah, we thought it would be good to have the ancient point of view on this. We have Marcus Cribb, who's a manager at Apsley House, and within his remit, falls looking after several statues. Hey, Marcus. Hi, uh, it certainly does, yes. Hello. And uh, we have James Smith with us as well, um, who is a naval historian attached to King's and uh, was the guy behind the very... Uh, snippy set of graphics that I was putting out last week about Nelson and his column. Hey, James. Hello there. Colson, let's just stick a pin in that. I don't think anyone's got a problem with that one coming down. That had been a, a bone of contention for a long, long time. And I don't think anyone's sorry to see the back of it. I'm not providing, as I think it's supposed to, it's going to go into a museum, isn't it? So we can educate people about why this once revered man is, it's not appropriate to have his statue on display in the public domain anymore. Is that right? Well, I think you've hit on a really important bit at the beginning, which is education. Yeah. Um, more than anything else, education uh, and a, a chance for open debate. It's an open intelligence debate, but education uh, primarily on, on all sides. Really, really important. I think we all have huge issue, don't we, with these lists of statues that suddenly started being created where someone obviously got onto Google and decided that they were going to purge um, or encourage people to purge the country of these statues. Let's go to Zach first and let Zach make his points and then we can all come in and discuss them because I know he's prepared some things he wants to say. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I, I mean, where do we honestly begin? Um, it's been really interesting to try and get involved in this debate on social media because, like you say, Twitter is really probably not a place to have this recent conversation. And people have come back and some people have gone, oh, that's a woke perspective. And others have said, oh, you're being insidious. 
neither of which kind of really helps to move things forwards. And the issue I have, for those who turn around and say, oh, well, my perspective is woke, and I'll explain what my thinking on this is, and perhaps you folks disagree, but that's the whole point of having this chat. Mm. People turn around and say, well, we have to judge people by the standards of the time. Well, I'm not being funny, but we've never actually done that because it's always been about our perception of those individuals, and that's influenced by our perspective on the present. So, for example, nobody realistically is going to turn around and say, we need to put up more statues to Hitler. If you're trying to put up a statue to Stalin, depending on what country you live in, you're going to have quite a hard time trying to make that happen. And historians have been having a debate since the year dot about the, the issues of conscious bias, deliberately trying to force your own agenda on something, but also of unconscious bias, that sense of uh, whether or not you can properly divorce yourself from your own personal perceptions and whether or not that influences how you write your history. And people often say that you actually can't divorce yourself from your unconscious bias. I'm not convinced that it's impossible. I think it's difficult, but I think there are ways that you can kind of help at least to try and reduce the impact of that unconscious bias. And there's no doubt in my mind that, as you've just said, some of these people need to come down. Colson, prime example. The landscape should reflect 21st century society rather than just 19th, excuse me, 19th century principles. But when it comes to my kind of insidiousness, I don't think, and call this a radical perspective if you like, but I don't think tearing down and burning is the solution on many levels. For one thing, if you're going to look at anybody pre-1950, arguably even later than that, you've got to recognise that society was racist and misogynistic and homophobic and elitist and had many other flaws. It was an age of empire and of limited suffrage, of separate spheres for men and women, where women were meant to sort of stay at home and look after the kids and cook dinner whilst men went out and earned a wage and did the proper stuff of politics and running the country, inverted commas. People were a product of their time. And so we shouldn't be surprised that some of these key figures had racist, homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic views. That doesn't change the fact that in many cases, they also, and this is crucial, made hugely significant contributions to our national history. And as a society, we've got to confront that dichotomy. We have to talk about how we feel about that. We need to have that conversation about the fact that our key historical figures held views that nowadays disgust us. And, and this comes to the nub of my argument. If you pull down all of these statues and monuments, that can actually be unhelpful. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of Afwa Hirsch, who first advocated reappraising our monuments in that Guardian article. She mentioned it a number of times in podcasts that she did in the time. I think the article came out in 2017. And also those of Professor Sir Jeff Palmer, who's the human rights activist and life sciences expert. He'd said that in a recent interview for Channel 4 News. So for me, and this is just my perspective, if you take them down, what you actually do is hide a really uncomfortable truth. If you took them out of sight, it is so much easier to just ignore it. And again, this is just my opinion. We, I feel we need to confront this, not just kind of sweep it away in order to emphatically tackle subliminal racist attitudes that continue to persist as a result of society in, in previous generations. So I'm not saying do nothing. As we've said already, Colson needs to come down. No debates about that. 
both been reading up on roads. I mean, it's difficult without a library of proper history books because you can't trust half of what you read on the internet. Mm. And personally, I struggle to see what was great about the book. But the point is, I'm not best placed to judge that. I'm not an expert on empire. And so if I, as a historian who sort of understands that some of the nuances on empire, thinks, actually, you know what? Just walking straight up to the roads in statue and sticking a chain around it and attaching it to a car isn't the best way. Then this kind of mob rule attitude of, hey, let's tear it down after reading a Wikipedia page really isn't the way to go. Yeah. I, just, uh, I was just thinking um, what you were saying earlier about judging by uh, standards um, in the past, you know, we should judge them by standards in the past, their own standards, things like that. Um, people always ignore that there, is, there was dissent. So, you know, when we talk about, oh, it, they were racist, they uh, agreed with slavery. Not everyone did. Mm. You know, there, is, there has always been debate on these figures. Um, notably, you know, if you're ever looking for dissent on most things we consider moral or immoral, you'll probably find a Quaker involved. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not like these time periods live in a moral vacuum that only exists there and then and everyone somehow enjoys this homogenous viewpoint. Um, there is such a complexity here. And I, I think it's, um, it's interesting, Zach's point on that complexity exists both in the past and in the present debate as well. Um, I mean, you mentioned about Stalin statues and obviously in nations like the Ukraine where they've gone through this process of decommunization and things like that. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, I suppose what's interesting here, and I know we'll get onto it later, is figures like Nelson, Wellington and the like in our history, where we have lots of statues of them. And you wonder, is it appropriate to remove one from maybe one context, but not another? Do, do you think that... Uh, dichotomy can exist i'd aim that at you zach because it's your i think the context is definitely key um but there is an issue of escalation from that and we need to be very clear about the context within which a statue exists in the first place for me the nuance is absolutely vital in all of this because we need to decide which ones come down but then crucially the ones that remain, they can't just be left necessarily as they are. And we need to think about how we change the ones that remain to accurately reflect that these people weren't perfect and that they held views that do nowadays disgust us. I think one, this is a really good point to bring James in because obviously James was doing the stuff about Nelson's column that we were putting out last week. And this is something whereby the context of that column, James, is not just about nelson is it it's about the whole square and it's not necessarily about one man and the context in which that that column was being judged was all wrong and ill-educated yeah and I, I think this kind of exposes um the, the real heart heart question here which is uh, statues are tricky in every in every country uh, they sort of tell you things about your past good and bad um, I found that quite often people uh, have issues with their own history rather than actually history itself, but they sort of take that on history itself. And I, I think the other matter is that the, many of these, these statues, of course, are uh, of people who are products of the times uh, and they might have had some attitudes which are untenable today. Um, the difference is, of course, that we ultimately do stand on the shoulders of, of, of this history. We have developed our, our 
our policies and our attitudes from that. And I always see history as kind of a repository of wisdom. And, and this is the issue when it comes down to Trafalgar Square and, and, and Nelson's column. And, and many forget that um, it, it's not Lord Nelson's column per se. Nelson's column and Trafalgar Square are um, there for really two issues. One is actually um, talking about what Professor Andrew Lambert calls the sea power state. It's talking about the maritime and naval history of Britain, which when you look at it, it's to do with we as human beings, a uh, land dwelling creature, creatures, and we don't really understand the sea it's a place we work on so trafalgar square was actually put there also to be a place near decision makers and for the nation uh, uh, to uh, understand what was going on and primarily that the na how the royal navy had been being invaded in 1805 um and that lord nelson's column um was there to celebrate the entire campaign to to stop invasion so um it's kind of when they were saying, well, this is a, a memorial to slavery. Actually, that, that's, that's not correct. Uh, people seem to be quite misguided um, that many of these statues are emulating or celebrating or, or worshipping specifically slavery. And if you, if you look at Nelson's column, uh, the, the plaques of them are all or basically the entire campaign, the Royal Navy's campaign uh, to defeat Napoleon, stop the country being invaded in 1805. And that's a place that uh, the nation would be able to come together. And I, I sort of know, actually, if you think about Trafalgar Square today, how many uh, key sort of movements and times in British history has Trafalgar Square been in the background? You think of every, anything from, uh, I don't know, women's rights, LGBT rights, anti-war protests. Yeah, they, they generally uh, sort, of, sort of start at Trafalgar Square. Um, but this sort of um, worshipping our idea that all of these statues um, reflect specifically um, or emulate um, something as simple as slavery, I think, is, is a bit wrong. And the scenes themselves that we saw these some of these statues being attacked, not just in Britain, were reminiscent of, of sort of the Middle East or somewhere after a revolution where people's passions have gone wild. Um, and it's sometimes hiding that people who want to push through a political agenda um, and that if you do not support tearing down statues, that you are somehow racist. Um, and, and this is kind of sort of kind of simplistic in myopic view. Um, and some are rightfully worried, as we, as we know from history, one of the most important things from studying history is what happens when you have mobs going around like this, attacking national culture, um, and that people become more emboldened um, about what they can do in society by testing the limits of violence and what the rest of society will tolerate. Now, they're important conversation to be had about the past, but the worst way you can do it is being is by going around being thugs and doing violence. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like just look at the scenes this weekend where I mean, the media would have you believe that everyone went down there was a football supporting Lagerlau right wing nut job doing their Nazi salutes. It wasn't the case. I'd seen some former paras down there just calmly sitting in front of Nelson's column and just saying, I just will not tolerate anyone trying to force their way past me. But I'm not here to fight anybody. Um, but I'm going to make my point, which is essentially what we were joking about doing, isn't it, James? We're saying that if historians have to form a ring around it and educate people, there is a way to achieve this and putting a list online to go and vandalise. And into, I mean, that idiot that worked for, I, I presume she doesn't no longer works for that Hertfordshire Museum. I think it was Hertfordshire because she's going online telling people how to melt bronze or whatever it was she was doing. Marcus, what do you make of this? Because your remit as one of the managers at Apsi House is 
to well safeguard or look after statues of Wellington, isn't it? It is. It is. It's to protect and also uh, highlight their uh, importance. Um, by effectively, they are there to represent the past. There's a cross section. Uh, the Nelson's College Trafalgar Square is almost an odd one out, but it actually depicts um, the crew of, I believe, just Victory. Um, Owen and James will be able to tell me otherwise, but I believe, you know, at least the, the sailors at uh, Trafalgar. And most of the other uh, statues we have, uh, Picton was one that was picked up very recently in the news. Uh, that are, we don't um, often commemorate the, the normal soldier of the era, or at least the working men and women. Uh, from various backgrounds and so we do that through highlighting individuals and so you've got to almost think that they are the top of an iceberg that is being supported by a myriad of society and uh, all sorts of backgrounds underneath them supporting whatever their efforts. Uh, the other one is on is on damage. What they don't see is um, the expertise that goes into um, the cleaning and maintenance. Uh, which can be really costly and it's either done through charities like English Heritage or through council and government grants and basically the funds are there being taken at something else because they're reactive um, planning you're not hoping to uh, have to put money towards um, cleaning vandalism so by vandalizing statues uh, wherever they are in the world you are taking the money out of charities that would be hoping to spend it more productively or out of um, the government. So you believe that your cause is more important than some of our uh, national funds, which Oxford might include, you know, um, relief for worth, um, worthy causes or uh, health services and mental health services and such like. So um, it's, there is an element there that you believe that your cause is more important. So you must remember what's behind the statue maintenance is um, very cost worthy to other people it just in, in a way that epitomizes the point that i was trying to make on twitter last week in amongst the shitstorm that you're not going to make the future a better place by attacking the past your focus and your energy should be spent on the here and now not on going around spray painting statues and and wikipediaing everyone who you think might have had racist connotations in their past so i was just going to say we were talking earlier on obviously race is a really important part of this um but there's a lot of uh, other individuals have been highlighted, not just for uh, their, their racist beliefs, but also for maybe LGBT beliefs or um, misogynistic beliefs. And it's just important to hold um, that by judging it by modern standards, some of it, it was illegal. Um, for myself, thinking of the Duke of Wellington before the Catholic Emancipation Act, Catholics couldn't vote or own certain areas of land in the UK. Um, you know, um, outside of my area, homosexuality was only um, decriminalised relatively recently within living memory. So 67. People, 67, thank mm. you. Um, so to hold these views 200 years ago was actually in line with the law of the time. And yeah. morally that law might have been wrong, but that's probably why they, you know, we're, we're only going to, going to really record people's public belief because they're speaking in letters and we don't know what their innermost thoughts might have been. I don't as well I I have to say that a lot of what was leveled at us last week was that if you say that which I agree with as it happens but if you say that you're saying right well so we're just saying that it was okay to be a homophobe uh, in which case it's okay to put up statues of Hitler well no that's not what we're saying is it 
No, you have to be very careful and you have to always um, say to people that you do not hold these beliefs because obviously we do not. I suppose this is um, this is it, isn't it? The problem with statues, I mean, people like, we conflate statues as history and they are history, but they're not history of what we think they are. We often think of, we, when this debate goes on, we talk about, uh, like Nelson's column asks the history and then they start talking about, well, as, you, as you have, you've started talking about Trafalgar and you think, um, it didn't go up till the 1840s. What was it? 1843. It was complete. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about context, you're absolutely right. The context of Nelson, Nelson's life, really important. But also, what's important is the context of why they decided to put it up. Yeah, because um, now 1843 is history. The putting up of the statue is part of history now. So to just rip it down, you're deleting selectively bits of history, aren't you? absolutely absolutely of course which is my huge issue the other side of this of course is um our intervention now is interrupting history as it happens so you know whether or not you like these acts these are historic acts that are going on right now this will be remembered um as a few years of protest i mean this isn't the first lot i mean was it 2001 they boarded up churchill before Mm -hmm. um you know this isn't new um, these have always been targets and they're, tar- they're targets because of their symbolism of um, establishment, really. Um, you can't really get more of an establishment figure than someone like Church or someone like Nelson, although I personally would have said Wellington, but Nelson's so prominent in London, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so in that respect, we kind of have to be careful to, uh, to so easily separate history, heritage, because ultimately a statue, no, it's not, history per se but it does hold a public memory yeah i mean it's like so if you go to horse guards parade there is a beautiful equestrian statue of lord roberts and most people now who aren't military historians don't really know who he is or what he did but i can stand there with the tour group and say this is one of only three father-son pairings to win a victoria cross blah 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 by the time you've told them the story they understand why when that statue was put there he was held in such high regard even though he's perhaps fallen out of it now so they are part of our heritage and they're a way for us to understand like you say not just how people thought of nelson at the time of trafalgar but how nelson was still revered in the 1840s for them to want to construct Trafalgar Square around him and that's all become part of our history as well so this selective deleting of bits of our history and trying to pretend for me pretending it didn't happen because we don't agree with everything that they said or did now is a really dangerous precedent yeah I wouldn't necessarily agree about it deleting history I think our history uh, the way we do history um, over the past 150 years is uh created a much more complex system you can't delete nelson from history even if you removed every single statue of him you can remove him from public memory though Mm. Um, and i think there is an important difference there so like there's an italian phrase uh sorry latin phrase a lot of people are floating about at the moment this idea of donatio uh, memoriae this idea of condemning a person's memory it's it's an ancient practice you see uh, in ancient egypt probably one of the earliest we see it with hatshepsut a female pharaoh who literally has her face carved on <laughs> sorry i just to say that i've seen that um because it's she has uh, one of the um needles doesn't she and because it's so irreverent to pull one of those down is it her stepson hated her so much that he built a freaking wall around it there is a circular yeah. wall around it which has now crumbled away so you're looking at 
um, like a, what are they? Yeah, so it's an obelisk yep. put up for her, which he can't take down because the gods will hate his guts. So there's a half crumbled wall around it. Um, and that's become his, uh, that's brilliant, that story. I love it. I don't know why he had such a beef with his stepmom, but yeah. No, and it's, it's actually kind of a historical mystery. I know like, historians have tried to answer this question, but ultimately there's just not enough data to understand it. But what's interesting is that they attempted it. Um, the Romans, similarly, you know, they tried to eliminate uh, emperors from the history as best they could. But, you know, some of the names they tried to get rid of are some of the most famous names you know. I mean, it's people like Nero. So removing statues, removing names from inscriptions does not equal history being lost. But and I, I will it's give important you... No, that's fine. I just want to give you an example, though, of how long it can take to put right. And that's Richard III. So Richard III, all of the stuff that we understood about him and trashed him with for three, four hundred years mm -hmm. came from after his last lifetime. It started like after he was gone um, and was made real by Shakespeare and taken down. And it's only in the last, what, 10 years really since finding him and stuff that people have actually started to comprehend that the whole so this is like how many generations have grown up not comprehending the proper history and the proper evidence surrounding the man because it's been clouded by a hate campaign from a later generation and i don't want to see that happen now I don't want to see us doing that and creating another Richard III scenario on Nelson or Wellington that's going to be taken forward. Um, Zach, you've got your hand up. <laughs> Very polite, Zach. I know. He's so Such a good boy. Yeah. Owen, I mean, did you want to come back on that first? Oh, I was just going to jump in on that, guys. It's a really interesting um, uh, example. But of course, um, this again kind of highlights my point, which is, as you said, the history was always there. Mm. Um, even the evidence was always there but yeah you're right what we're talking about there again is public memory the stereotyping the um the legacies the lineage um the cultural legacy of mm. his name and of his actions that is what gets skewed and uh, yeah i can i can see how you can relate that to um to what we're seeing now and how we're going to i suppose it's it's difficult to try i'm trying to avoid this idea we're not rewriting history that there's this idea that history is set in stone and we're just kind of discovering it and this is kind of yeah. a popular perception of history. Uh, I think we're taught at school because you're taught it as facts, aren't you? Um, and it's only when you continue reading and you realise, oh, there's actually debate. There's actually, um, you know, and this is ultimately what we're trying to do. So in yeah. that respect, when we, to say we're rewriting history is kind of a misnomer because the history is just an inquiry. You, of course, you're rewriting it because you're basically trying to get to a more accurate picture as best you can. Yeah, um, but then equally when people like David Baddiel come forward and say, we need to change our history. No, we don't need to actively and like yeah. pointedly set out to change the narrative of history. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we don't. Um, and again, I think this is just a bit of a disconnect um, mm. with our discipline uh, or our, our interest in history because most historians, well, I think any historian would go, no, you're absolutely right. You can't go about that. But you certainly can hit it with new perspectives. Mm, absolutely. It's, and if we weren't continually doing that, um, we wouldn't be doing our job properly. No, it no, absolutely. grammatically and physically uh, impossible to change history unless we use a time machine, if anyone's pointed that yeah. out. So. I did point out that it's gone. You can't. You can change the way you look at it, but you can't change yes, your history. Well, and this, 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 this for me is why it's important to locate statues within the uh, more of a discussion, not, as much, not so much on history, but on public memory. 
Mm. and memorialization and the decision for memorialization. So as um, Zach and, well, actually James and Marcus have all discussed, um, you know, these statues live in their own context, whether it's a uh, conservation context, whether it's in the um, early 1800s, whether it's in the mid 1800s, um, they exist within these contexts, but they do also exist in our context. And I suppose this comes back to Zach's point, which is that people, we, we do have a right to continually have this conversation, but I suppose this comes back to everyone's point, which is the conversation, yes, why are you pulling it down right now? Um, why are you damaging these things? Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a small minority. I've, uh, since the Nelson thing came up, I've been looking for the petition. I can't find it. There isn't one. There is not a petition to have Nelson's column taken down. Mm. I cannot find it anywhere. I think um, there was a fair amount of shit stirring going on, wasn't there? There was a lot of stirring and our uh, media, media got really is. in on this. Um, Black Lives Matter movement have not asked for this. I know there's this website, um, Top of the Racists. It is on there. I'll give you that. It is on that website. But so are about 70 others. Some have petitions, some don't. So you've got to ask the question, going back to Zach's original point, is um, you know, who's actually calling for these things? What, why is this conversation happening in the way it's happening right now? Mm. Go on, Zach. Yeah, I, I mean, it taps into what you've just said there about kind of memory and, and how we engage with these statues and, and how we want to keep kind of thinking about it. Because I've been really interested to see a lot of academics that I know and really like and respect turning around and saying that, actually, you know what? Monuments are sites of ed- education aren't particularly helpful. They don't really educate people, which has left me doing a lot of head scratching because on a personal level, and this is based on my personal experiences as a teacher, that's, that's not my experience. If, if I was to take a bunch of kids out on a tour, get them out of the classroom, take them around um, any site, we would stop. And tour guys, it's the same thing. It's yeah, just you, can talk, would stop at these. you can achieve so much more walking around a load of London statues than you can in a classroom, can't you? Mm. Exactly. And you stop. And what do you do? You discuss, you educate these people about that person and, and their role within society and why it is that they're memorialised. But that point about how people get that knowledge has got to be absolutely key. Because if Let's go back to kids. Let's say you're in a park. There's a memorial to whoever it might be. You know what kids are like. They sometimes get something in their head. They turn around, they ask their parents. Parents don't know, so they Google it. And straight away, you've got the problem that we've seen at the moment where people are embarrassing themselves. And Robert Peel's a classic example of this. They're trying to target the statue to Prime Minister Robert Peel, who's actually the son of another guy of the same name who was anti-abolition. Robert Peel, the Prime Minister was pro-abolition. And so what they're in effect trying to do is target the wrong guy. So I can understand why people have, have got an issue with Robert Peel the Elder, if you like, but they're, they're not taking the advantage of the opportunity to properly work out who it is that they're dealing with. And for me, what it comes down to is the fact that we therefore need to find a way to make these monuments work much better to educate people. They need more information on them. And suddenly, if you can make that happen, then suddenly society starts winning because you start to educate people properly about their history, not just this idealised kind of perception. I mean, are we talking about a statutory advisory board where people, where we put up 
new plaques on statues instead of pulling them down. I mean, like I said, we put a pin in someone like Colston that has been a contentious um, issue. For, but I, in terms of the whole of this list, we can't take them all down and we shouldn't take everybody down. But maybe we should be looking at putting new plaques up on there, like you say, to educate people. And the ones that, like Colston, should go in a museum with those plaques. You can say this guy was once completely revered by Bristol because he did all this. But this is where his money comes from and in the 21st century people didn't agree with it i just want to ask owen as an ancient historian this idea that monuments don't matter as parts of history surely that blows away a lot of your field if that's the case well that uh, i should throw away this book i've just written yeah uh, if <laughs> because surely uh, in in terms of ancient history if we start disregarding monuments yeah. and their historical importance then I mean, surely that is so key to what you're working on in terms of uh, war m- memorialization of wars and things in the ancient world. What are you going to do without that stuff? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in that regard. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to be part of this conversation. Um, I mean, anyone would be within their right to go, what the hell is an ancient historian doing in a conversation about uh, about Nelson? <laughs> uh, the reason I did it was because uh the importance of monuments, the importance of inscriptions, the importance of statues uh, for my field. Um, and it gives, because ancient historians have to deal with them in such a more direct way than perhaps other fields of history do, because quite often it's all we've got mm. in certain areas. Um, it just becomes much more important, which is why, you know, for the, you know, the, this conversation now, I, every so often I feel like I'm jumping in and being a bit of a spoil spot. Um, we're, you know, trying to contextualize these um, images and these statues. And there's a reason for that because that's what I spend most of my time having to do and doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so the idea that statues and monuments don't um, teach us anything about history or don't show us anything about history is categorically false considering everything I've already said about be careful which bit of history you think you're being told about um, where I suppose the question then comes is uh, from an archaeological point of view the context of where the um, monument is is just as important as the monument itself so for instance if we take um, Nelson's column um you know we had James uh talk about it briefly with uh, Trafalgar Square the context of the column is important yeah um the physical context of the book so I suppose a valid question and you know I'll throw it straight over to anyone who wants to take it the valid question about Nelson's column is does it need to be in such a prominent place in London you know if you were going to design a monumental space in London now would you choose Nelson to be the man who's there because Trafalgar Square really is just one of those iconic areas now isn't mm. it and you go is he the right man to put there now was he even then is a valid question but now is he the person you would choose to put there um, I'll throw that to anyone can I just quickly say as a almost a historical fact uh, of the time it's not the first Nelson's column uh, the first one is on um, the hill out, outside Portsmouth which obviously has much stronger naval connections. So um, everything in Portsmouth is up, seems to be named after Nelson. Uh, he was a Norfolk <laughs> man. Um, um, <laughs> he's, there is a first Nelson's column. It's just not very well known. Uh, it's in the car park of what is now um, Fort Nelson, uh, which is part of the Royal Armouries uh, Free Museum. But that was built much, much earlier uh, to commemorate him within uh, a naval context, within eyesight of uh, the naval base. So 
think it's before we say anything else, it's quite important to say that there was another one. And so there must have been a very important reason to say to build a second within uh, our capital city. Let's get to, I want to go to James on this one. Uh, I think it, uh, why Trafalgar Square and, and Nelson's column um, is such an interesting case study because it interlinks with so many debates related to uh, our statues being used politically, who were who was behind them uh, in the first place, and what do they mean over over time? Now, if you look at Lord Nelson's legacy, uh, the current sort of attack on on Nelson's column was believed to start in about two thousand five at the two hundredth anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar, um, and and sort of it's evolved into these uh, series of, of uh, let's put it this way, interpretations. Um, by some individuals, uh, particularly at the Guardian newspaper. Of course, the Guardian newspaper has its own history with, with slavery itself. Um, but what's quite interesting is the attacks on Lord Nelson go back to exactly the same year that Nelson's column was being put up in, in 1843, um, which was put up by Public Subscription and the Duke of Wellington. Now, there were sort of two strands behind that. One was basically saying, look, the, the country had been saved from invasion, this was incre- incredibly important to, to Mark. And uh, the Royal Navy at the time, the Admiralty, were very, uh, very forceful that it had to mark all of the, the contribution of the Royal Navy and, and all the sailors ultimately in it, which is why, you know, I'd argue Nelson's column is, is kind of not so much about Nelson. It, it's about Trafalgar, it's about invasion. And uh, if, if people look really closely um, the, the plaques at the bottom actually represent most of the battles leading up to Trafalgar and they actually represent um, uh, all the ethnicities involved in the Royal Navy at the time. Um, you know, Royal Navy was kind of ahead quite a bit of, of the nation on this front. So, for example, um, if a slave managed to escape or um, came aboard a British warship, they were free. And, and certainly at the end of service, they were free as well, which is, is why they're considered the same as any other sailor. Um, paid by, by rate and skill, um, and that's why they're marked on, on Nelson's column as anything else. And I, I think, you know, Trafalgar, this is when we come back to what else does this statue actually mean um, and why historians and historical methodology is important. Um, because from this uh, sort of accusation of, of Nelson being uh, accused of uh, being pro-slavery, sort of you start digging into this and look at, well, what's actually going on here? is then sort of start to realise that uh, the original letter which believed to betray Lord Nelson as being pro-slavery actually came out the same year or it was made public the same year that the column went up. Um, and behind that letter was um, basically one of his, what would be ex-friends, I suppose you could say, um, who was getting very jealous of how Nelson's legacy was, was making him immortal, to put it in those terms. So... But as historians, we can sort of start digging this and say, why did he say what he say? Well, at the time there'd been uh, that he wrote the letter, there'd been a, an uprising where some of his friends had been hurt. He was under huge pressure to secure the West Indies strategically. And the one that, of course, has been missed behind this is this fear that if Britain released those slaves, Napoleon would ultimately probably get hold of these slaves and turn them on the Royal Navy. Uh, and the big one that also the Admiralty underlined of, of why the Trafalgar Square, and particularly Nelson's column, was going up, um, was that it enabled Parliament. You can imagine Parliament's scared of invasion. You know, who wouldn't be at the, at the time? So they were unable to be concerned about other questions in society at the time. So, so getting rid of invasion um, obviously allowed them to think a little bit about other topics, including, the, obviously, the Anti-Slavery Act. But I think getting into then the politics behind it, 
um, you know, the question of would we choose Nelson? Well, that's when we actually get into is Nelson's column actually about Nelson? And I think we, we also start reflecting on here in the 21st century, what are these actual attacks on, on statues about? Um, and I could kind of say, if you don't understand Trafalgar Square, you, you kind of don't understand Britain because of the sea and its relationship. So it's understandable if the, the sea is defined Britain as a nation, how we connect through the sea, the global commons to uh, the rest of the world. You think about it, the sea is really central. It is, it is our national identity. So it's kind of understandable that something like Trafalgar Square, which is so prominent, would be attacked because it's a, a direct attack on British culture. Um, and we as a nation have been shaped by the sea um, and it has been the global commons. So the politics behind actually having that there um, was as much uh, not just saying, well, look at the, the Royal Navy, look at uh, the contribution of sailors, but how does the sea and how does the Royal Navy become central to our identity? How, is, how must it be reflected in, in policy? And I, I think it's kind of, if you step away from Whitehall and look at it, at one end you've got Trafalgar Square Nelson, now the other end you've got Churchill in the middle, the Cenotaph. Um, and, and how sort of Nelson's legacy impacted Winston Churchill, you, you really start to get this idea of there's far more behind a statue than just glorifying a, an individual. Uh, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um. I mean, I have no, I've always taken Trafalgar Square to represent a moment in time when the Royal Navy held a much higher significance um, in our national identity and in our national safety um, and in our national progress. And I'm okay with that standing there because that for me is a piece of living history that I can use to show people that as a historian. Um, so in answer to your question, Owen, um, I have no problem with it being Nelson. I have no problem with the, the position it holds. Um, I mm. don't know if anyone disagrees, but that's what I take it at. Certainly don't disagree. I'm thinking back to a Royal Navy recruitment campaign about 10 years ago. And they were giving out pens and T-shirts and said, why the Royal Navy? It says, because we're an island underneath it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it. It just kind of puts into context. Yes, now we've got planes and internet age. But uh, back then, yeah, everything um, did rely upon having clear channels. And if we couldn't send messages overseas on a, on a ship, the message wouldn't go overseas. We couldn't trade by putting it on board a ship. It wouldn't be tra traded. Um, you know, you couldn't go anywhere out of United Kingdom, um, even to, you know, our, some of our colonies and there were terrible things done. Um, and also some positive things with fighting against Napoleon. But 
you couldn't do it unless you got on a ship or a boat. So we are on islands, and uh, I think that can be quite important within uh, when we're quite looking inward to look outward and our shores or our um, our protection as well. Nelson's navy um, and his uh, his sailors on board, uh, victory we know uh, were multi-ethnic, and this comes to um, like a discussion about fame and representation, and they are represented on the plaques around uh, Nelson's column. Mm. But also, he's fighting a war against uh, Napoleon. And I know uh, much more about uh, Wellington than I do know about Nelson. I'll hold my hand up and say that. But Napoleon reintroduced slavery. Um, so if we're talking about a anti-slavery viewpoint, though they're still going to have 1800s values, um, Napoleon was in, reintroduced slavery after it had been abolished under the French Revolution. So um, to kind of quote um, Master and Commander here, it's the lesser of two evils, at least. Yeah, I think in that case, are we saying that maybe it wasn't the 19th century or the 18th century navy that was failing multi-ethnicities and honouring them because they were honoured in 1843 when that was put up. The omission has been made in the history since, hasn't it? If people don't know when they're screaming at a, a pillar with Nelson on it that he did yes. command other ethnicities then it's and, not nelson who failed it's the generations that and failed. i see it sometimes in representation that sometimes you do get tv dramas and they put in um a diverse uh, cast because we are a diverse country which is great and i see people sometimes go oh but you wouldn't have had that person there when actually our country's been trading around the world um for hundreds of years before this era so it's not impossible that people yeah. of different ethnicities would have been there and they would have uh, been known. You know, we were a global power uh, in that era. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason that Miranda Kaufman is fortunately for her and deservedly so. Um, they're making some form of dramatisation out of black Tudors because there were black people in Tudor England yes. and she yes. found them and she wrote a book about them. And so they should be, there should be a documentary or there should be a documentary or a drama, I'm not sure what it is, with them in it. Because like you say, it's not just being woke putting black people in a historical drama they yeah. were there yeah it's the same um within uh ancient rome dramas um if you ever have any person of color in it they conventionally if they're a slave then that's acceptable if they're shown to be some form of citizen we get the exact same backlash i mean we had one about a year or two ago the bbc put an image of a british roman house basically with family and it showed uh uh, uh, I think the male was black, I think, and shown as a citizen. And this just annoyed many a people. But ultimately, it's the exact same. Rome was a massive empire. It was a multinational mm -hmm. empire. It was a multi, what we would call a multiracial empire. So it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly expected to see. Um, which comes back to this whole thing we've been talking about, which is of education. It is. I mean, and I think we proudly at History Hack, we've had Emma Southern talking about Syrian matriarchs, like leading mm -hmm. Rome. We've had Black Tudors with Miranda Kaufman. And it just, it, it is collectively, those people were there. And if people, to say they're ignorant, if people are ignorant of the fact that there were, that it's okay to have a black citizen of Rome, it's because they haven't been taught right. It's not because the BBC or whatever are trying to be woke and putting a black person in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other thing is, uh, I guess going back, oh, oh, going all the way back to the Richard Third analogy, um, which is uh, since the Renaissance, we've envisaged the ancient world in particular as white, um, not helped by the fact that people started cleaning statues. Yes. Um, so, you know, 
for anyone who is not aware, uh, ancient, or pretty much all ancient statues around the Mediterranean were painted. Um, you know, they're not this gleaming white marble that you see in the museums. That's not normal. If you go to the Vatican Museum in particular, you'll see a lot of them still have the paint on. Um, but it's created this image of a white empire, and this very much influenced post-Renaissance, Enlightenment, and then, of course, the British Empire, the way the British mm -hmm. Empire envisages itself and itself in the world. It's no secret that they modelled themselves on the Roman Empire and Greek democracy as well. And we need to I'm, teach people the difference between classical and neoclassical, don't we? Spot on. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. And this is, I suppose, where uh, Nelson's column comes back into it, because it is a neoclassical designed monument um and there are i mean i know james talked about it before he, he mentioned the political statements are being made you know yes it is a, a glorious monument yes it is to commemorate um a, a, an invasion that was uh, defeated so to speak um but there is a large political statement being made with monuments like this um by political elite and that, that, that is a reality that we also have to acknowledge yeah, and then that has to be part of the education process. James, Absolutely, finish us yeah. off. I think the one to underline, we can see how arguments get developed because of how uh, history is being, uh, is being tweaked or how history is not being taught. There's many arguments. I mean, historians, I think, will get into about the teaching of history, when it's done, how it's done, etc. Um, I, I know one in particular was uh, when it came to this debate about Lord Nelson's column, um, was it appeared in the Times newspaper that Lord Nelson owned slaves and that drove his uh, Nelson's column being put on the, the website to be removed. We know for absolute sure Nelson did not own any slaves. So I think it's good for historians to reflect how uh, a public debate uh, without historians getting involved in can really start spiraling out of control, particularly when we know uh, or we, we'd have to destroy evidence, uh, which some seems inconvenient to their agendas type of thing. And, and that's the prime example of, of you know, yeah. them claiming that Nelson owned slaves, therefore he was pro-slavery. I mean, the, the fact is that we annoy people because we can never give them a straight answer. But if you want to take it and make it that black and white, literally that black and white, then you're going to end up having to dynamite Mount Rushmore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you need to you need the nuance of historians, and unfortunately, for once, our our existence is vindicated. Unfortunately, for the rest of the world, and all the time we've all spent looking at dead people, actually, we do have something to bring to this discussion. And I think we are the levelers in the middle that say it. You cannot. The extreme just doesn't work here. No, and I think Nelson is, is the perfect example of that. Um, Nelson has been analysed, examined everything else since his death. Um, and there's plenty of um, scholarly output on it, but uh, it's all to do with context, isn't it? And I think that's something in the debates that we're now missing today. If somebody says, well, one letter makes him from their, their interpretation to be pro-slavery, yet you know five years beforehand he was fighting an engagement where he freed 400 slaves, which of course was against the law, let's remember slavery was legal, then you start to think, well, this individual is not um, is, is simple as we're, we're trying to make him out to be. So yeah. we always come back to why historians are important, why studying is important, and that just ruthlessly pulling down statues without understanding this um, really sort of diminishes our, our society. Um, and I think one thing that really concerned me last week was the, and I don't know if it was an ill inability to differentiate or whether it's just because 
as it's just pointed out, the cenotaph sits in between two of mm. the uh, statues slash monuments that were on the hit list. But the inability, it seems, of some people to differentiate between a commemoration and a memorial um, and to try and set fire to flags on the memorial and to trash the cenotaph, which as a monument was unveiled in its permanent form the exact same day that we commemorated the unknown soldier who in mm-hmm. theory could be any color and from anywhere in the empire. Um, and that in turn, that cenotaph commemorates all of Britain's warded. And in the context that it was put up in the early twenties, that means Britain and her Imperial forces, that means, and the Australians and the Canadians, that's Britain's whole encompassing war dead memorialized in that slab and that people would go and trash that and not understand the difference between a statue commemorating um nelson and trafalgar in the navy and an individual like winston churchill and go and attack that for me that really tipped me over the edge i don't know about you guys yeah yeah uh, oh, go on Zach. this is what really started to shake me in terms of how much people are kind of escalating it, because you've talked about the cenotaph and I'm with you all the way on what you've said there, Alex. I was having conversations with friends of mine, historians, people who I know are properly decent at what they do and saying, well, look, so where do we take this? Do we, do we um, take a wrecking ball to Nelson's column? Do we even go so far as advising the French to bulldoze um, Napoleon's tomb? And people coming around, turning around and saying, yes, absolutely. It's a sign of white supremacy tear it all down. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. We're talking here about desecrating people's graves. Have some bloody respect for the dead. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if, if that's where people want to go with this, then good luck with where it's going to end. Because this is the sort of thing that we did with Cromwell back in 1660 after the restoration of Charles II. The way he was repeatedly up dug up. Exactly. Mm. And I'd like to think as a society, we've kind of moved on a little bit and become fractionally more civilised than we were back then. And I would like to think that we understood the difference between white supremacy and a monument that merely and wholly is there to commemorate all those who did or did not agree with the reasons for going to war, but who laid down their lives or their lives were taken from them unwillingly during it. I'd like to think that we progressed to um, a place where we could understand the nuance in that. Well, and also with the, with the cenotaph in particular, that is still a sacred space of mourning. Mm. You know, um, people may get cynical and talk about the politicisation every rem- um, Remembrance Day, um, where we see prime ministers not turn up properly dressed to address it. But that's not the point. Veterans, thousands of veterans, go to this monument every year. You know, it, 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 families will still find solace in this cenotaph. And of course, it's not the only cenotaph. There's one in Manchester uh, as well. You know, th- these are these are not dead monuments. No, they're not. And even though the way people regard them when they go has evolved over the last hundred years. I mean, in the immediate aftermath of World War I, um, Remembrance Day was a massive piss up. London was absolutely heaving with soldiers coming out to party and celebrate their lost friends. And, and because we didn't experience and the more those wars go out of living memory, the more reverent we become and the more solemn we become about the commemoration because we haven't earned the right to regard it in that way, I think is the collective response to it. Um, but still, you're right. It is a living, breathing monument and solace to people who have lost someone in war. Yeah, well, I would, you know, to take it to an extreme, I'd rather you took all the statues down than you did anything to that cenotaph, mm. uh, if given the choice. Um, that cenotaph is exactly as you said; is it's a symbolic 
um, burial for all all um, servicemen and women uh, from past and to present. It is still used for this kind of uh, this symbolic burial um, for those who, in particular, cannot come home. Yes, you know, absolutely. think of the families who never get to touch or bury the bodies of their loved ones. And I mean, um, it is inextricably, it is um, sorry, intrinsically linked with the unknown soldier as well. They were both. Um, he was buried on the day that that was probably properly unveiled George V oversaw both um, and for me they are one and the same um, one stands out on the road and one stands in mm. the abbey what they are there for people to use as a comfort and a solace but initially it was temporary wasn't it it was made yes, out of wood and plaster. It looked exactly yeah. the same, yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. so the king, I think, had been there when they... And this is the one example I found of George V misjudging public opinion because he was asked if he wanted to unveil the permanent one um, and because it had already stood there in plasterboard um, for two years or whatever. And he said, no, you're all right, thanks. I don't think it's necessary, is it? And the stink, it kicked up. And it's the one example I can find of him misjudging public opinion. Usually he, he inherited that from his grandmother. He was very good at gauging what things meant to people and why. And that's the one he missed. And he did go and he, he did it and he didn't complain about it. And when, when people started to get het up, he was like, oh, right, I, I just didn't realise that was going to be the collective response and that it meant that much. Um, and the unknown soldier, uh, the cortege paused, paused at the um, cenotaph uh, so for me, they are they are completely intertwined, and if you disrespect one, you're disrespecting the other. And so, just quickly, there is a there are different legal protections over war morals. I have had to unfortunately remind people of this mm. uh, in my line of work. Uh, but war memorials, just by because they often they belong to anyone, they often belong to the nation, and they are protected, rightly so, I believe. Uh, and so, by damaging them in any way, uh, shape or form. Uh, physically damaging them it is a it is a crime mm. uh, the other one is going back to it is taking off putting on a completely different hat which i know zach knows about but um i'm, I'm lucky enough and uh, it's a big part of my life that i'm a army reservist and about three years ago uh, 2017 i think it, i was uh, very lucky that i was in one of the guards uh, on the cenotaph and it was the last time her majesty uh, walked into and uh, laid a wreath herself and I have to say, my 11-year part-time career, it stands out as being equally one of the highlights. And it's going to stay with me, I know, uh, to my last uh, dying memories. It's such a poignant thing. I mean, you stand there in one of the guards, I think it's about four and a half hours, because you do, you stand there for the march past afterwards. But it is the cenotaph. And though there's, I've been to um, over 11 um, Remembered Sunday services, uh, there's nothing quite like a having your sovereign there but b um the actually that kind of goes out the window when you see all the veterans and all the widows and all the orphans and all the disabled veterans as well um including charity pensioners and uh, yeah. pc winners it has such poignancy uh, of all backgrounds and ethnicities yeah, I pity the people that can't divorce in their minds the concept of white supremacy and the concept of that, what you're talking about, and which obviously gives you so much pride. Um, you almost need like a badge saying not all soldiers are white. Uh, yes, it, exactly. It, and in actual fact, if you look up at the makeup of the British Army now, um, they're most certainly not all white. Um, they don't James, need to be. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We are um, we're just soldiers. James, you've got your hand raised. 
I, I was just sort of thinking when, uh, if you were to draw a line from Trafalgar Square to the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior, um, the, the one for sort of the Navy and sailors is very important with Nelson being so central to Royal Navy identity um, is the amount of sailors who have no graves. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, although, the, you know, the Cenotaph is, is a place for, you know, the Navy and, and the Maritime um, as much as anybody else, Nelson being so central sort of uh, underlines how um, Trafalgar Square um, is seen also, or was designed to be, uh, a place of remembrance. In fact, yeah. the, plan, the plans for it um, was to have, uh, you could almost walk through not just the history of, of this nation, but it was a place of, of remembrance um, under, the, under the sort of uh, eyes of Lord Nelson, per se, because it was um, so central. Um, and I, I think it's one with um, a real question comes down to is, what are these statues best remembered for? What is the cenotaph mainly remembered for? Um, and, you know, Nelson inspired the entire Navy. Now, if you start thinking how long from 1805 it is to, to 2020, uh, he inspired a Navy to be what is still the most successful fighting force uh, in the world. It's respected for its, I think, humility and humanity in war. Um, uh, but a more serious side of this is trying to escape and understand empire and imperialism. And I think yeah. this is a big problem for his historians. And I would say uh, part of my research at King's, which is also a maritime strategy, there's been an almighty headache for navies post-1945 to kind of get away from this argument that all oh, the navy is just for imperialism and is mm-hmm. just for empire. So it, it's kind of exposing... Um, you can't range. i mean it's just a basic nuance isn't it you can't attack the entire establishment in history for slavery when you don't personally understand what part the royal navy played as part of the establishment in eradicating slavery worldwide yeah and i mean the royal navy i mean uh, you know defeat of napoleon enabled the royal navy to have resources to go and uh, fight fight slavery and, and that was something that Britain invested a considerable amount of resources in it. It wasn't an easy, you know, it wasn't one day this was banned, the next day it was over by any, by any terms. But um, that was a long campaign for the Navy to do and ultimately pitted us against other nations at times, um, you know, particularly the United States, um, which I think is quite topical. Um, so when we start trying to understand, well, what are the, some of these statues in, and, you know, Trafalgar Square is about, it's actually a lot more about the story of the Royal Navy, and that is just that—that that is not just Lord Nelson. That is not just Trafalgar. Um, what is it saying? And I think this kind of links in Winston Churchill as well. Do we sort of look at that statue and say that is Winston Churchill, the man, or is that Britain's fight against fascism? Mm. Um, and that's what I, I know. I certainly took away when they were writing, you know, racists on it. I felt that was more of an attack on Britain's legacy of fighting, you know, standing alone and then fighting. Um, against fascism in, in World War Two than anything. Well, you ha- yeah, you only have to look at what is that representation of Winston Churchill. That man was in public service for decades. But what is the image of him standing on that plinth? It's the 1940s. It's an image of that man in 1940, as I as I picture him when he epitomised the f- when he was talking about the few when he was epitomising Britain not surrendering and not giving in to fascism. It's not a statue of him as an old old man, is it? It's not a statue of him as a young um, imperialist journalist slash soldier. It's the statue of him in World War Two. I think it's a very um, the way in which it's done. I think it's fair to say is is a very hostile attack on our, our past and sort of interrogation of our past. 
Um, and they're kind of doing in, in countries where, which are the most free and the most tolerant, um, which in the case of, you know, Winston Churchill, and like we just said, it represents that fight. Um, how do we think we became to a nation that was, was such, so free and so tolerant? Um, you know, mm. you'd pretty much be sure what, what Adolf Hitler would have thought about, um, you know, the treatment. Well, had he won the war and you... Had he won the war, what he would have thought about... like that, you'd be gunned down, wouldn't you? Yeah, the black community, the gay community, whatever it might be. We certainly, I think, can say what, how we would have treated those communities. So yeah. um, it is very hostile, I think, to these attacks on sort of our, our countries when you think that we are the most free and tolerant but also being free and tolerant enables us to to have these conversations but i do think we have a major problem with with empire and imperialism and that that's historians have got i think much to blame for that maybe as, as anything else zach personally i agree i mean guys do you want me to shut up because i've spoken a lot here no, um, i'm so- fine with you talking <laughs> you sure yeah, I, we're, I, we're I utilising the little... When I say people have got their hands raised, I don't want listeners to think that they're literally sitting there with their hand up. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's the little <laughs> button on Zoom. It just means that they've hit the little blue hand button so I know they want to talk. Please don't get this sad have, little class. Does this not mean we get biscuits and uh, glasses of squash afterwards, I promise? Oh, my days. <laughs> Only if it's not the orange and pineapple squash because the pineapple bit used to make me gag and they used to give us that all the time after netball. No, much. people aren't actually raising their hands. But no, I, I, I think you are the only... I just raised right now, Zach. But yeah, I just want to finish your thought. Oh, I just wanted to jump in just before Zach does jump in because I just wanted to point out. Um, we going back to Zach's point a minute ago about um the wider discussion that's supposed to be going on and how we're um very much obsessing over statues. It says a lot when the prime minister decides to talk about this publicly when he's not talking about so much else publicly. Mm. Um. It's also worth noting um, that a lot of the discussion in groups like the Black Lives Matter forums and things and groups like uh, Toppling the Racists, um, they're not talking about burying this. Yeah. Actually, the message is basically white people of Britain need to own up to this and understand it better. And I think that's a message a lot of us can agree with. Definitely. But I don't think that that's achieved by ripping statues down, Mm. which I think Mm. is actually what we're all saying. And I think what this this conversation has been really good for is that if anyone out there so the the black lives matter people that just came at us and i mean as, as an ethnic minority i was surprised at the amount of abuse i've got which in some instances was just based on my name which is churchill obviously and in other instances just boiled down to them pretending i wasn't an ethnic minority and screaming white supremacy in my face but actually for zach to stand up and say some of this as he did on twitter really put his head above the parapet and i think Mm. the people on the the people making these lists and the people out there that are advocating ripping this down and 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 a violent appraisal of our history need to understand that the people opposing them aren't just the loony right wing fringes that showed their face doing their Hitler salutes yesterday in London. There are educated people like us that oppose the approach they're taking and that they need to understand that they can't just scream white supremacists to every single one of them. But I, th- I think that's an important point. Um, and also what you were saying about is it's not, I mean, some of you may disagree, but for me, it's not necessarily the removal of some of these statues. We talked about Colston as a, as a classic example. Mm. That's not the problem. But the, the, it's the approach, I think, is, is, a, is yeah. a really, yeah, that's the nail on the head there. Yeah. I mean, it, if an advisory board exists, then it's an educated approach and it's a discussion and it's not just people going out with spray paint and screaming in other people's faces with their views, is it? But Zach, go on. And then I know Marcus wants to come in. 
Yeah, there are a few things. So sorry, Marcus, this might sort of take a little bit longer than perhaps you'd like. Um, <laughs> Stop apologising. We brought you here to talk about this stuff. And it's, we've brought people in that aren't afraid to talk about this stuff. And I just have to say that all four of the people in this chat with me, and I may be, I may be brown, but these guys are white and they've been brave enough to come forward and, and say their piece. And I actually really respect you all for doing this. So don't for one moment, Zach, think that you don't deserve the forum to then say your piece. Funny enough, when we were talking about this beforehand, having had the, the blowback on Twitter, I kind of feel that my career was over anyway as an academic. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this is, it shouldn't be. Do. And that's, that's what makes me angry. That's what I'm saying when I say that they cannot, the people that, the people that made those lists can't just scream white supremacists in the face of every white man that opposes ripping down all of these statues. Because in this virtual chat with me are four white men who are educated and just have a nuanced perspective on it and an educators. And they don't necessarily agree with you about ripping all these statues down, but that doesn't mean that they're right wing nut jobs. So yeah. yeah, go ahead and make your points out. In terms of this whole white supremacy argument, I'll be honest, I'm not, and I'm sure many people aren't surprised that this whole kind of tear it down line of reasoning has played into the hands of the far right. And I'm not saying for one second that we don't need to confront this. As you've heard, I'm absolutely saying, actually, I would much rather that we felt uncomfortable and dealt with that fact. Mm. But nobody can have been amazed at the fact that the far right used this as an excuse to come yeah, out to politicize it yeah and yeah. come out and be assholes which frankly every one of you standing there doing a nazi salute and beating up policemen who forgive me are not the ones trying to take the statues down you are assholes i think it's so important to emphasize that not all monument defenders are fascists but there's a, a deeper thing here about i kind of feel we should be a little bit more clever than the far right on this because this kind of gives them a bit of ammunition because if you stop pulling down these statues and burning them without having a discussion first. They can use it in their kind of screwed up way to mm. claim that, oh, our national heritage is under threat. And it's, it's a conspiracy from the far left to try and make Britain less British, whatever that's meant to mean. And we, we can be cleverer than that. Because if you don't like a statue, first of all, research it so you know why it's there in the first place. So you don't end up with these embarrassing situations that we've talked about already. Well, like that, that woman turning up yesterday online that's been pilloried because she actually said she couldn't say whether Churchill was a racist or not because she hadn't met him. Which was really unfortunate, wasn't it? For it her. was, but you're right. Um, you have to educate yourself before. You're, you have to be smarter than just kicking people who come near the statue, don't you? Completely. Yeah, I'd like to see the government actually do something constructive about this rather than say, oh, no, national monuments are off the list. I think there still needs to be a conversation. And one final thing, and then I'm going to wind my neck in, finally. <laughs> I just want to talk a little bit, I want to use a quote from Barack Obama on call-out culture, because I think it's relevant to this whole kind of Twitter viper's nest thing that we've, we've been talking about. It comes from, if you want to look this up, he said it in October 2019, and it was cited in a New York Times article. I'm quoting him directly here. He says, this idea of purity, and you're never compromised, and you're always politically woke, his words, not mine, and all that stuff. You should get over that quickly. The world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. And he continues, I do get a sense sometimes how among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be judge as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. 
like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or use the wrong verb, then I can sit back and feel good about myself because, man, you, you see how woke I was? I called you out. That's not activism. That's not bringing about change. If you're all doing it, sorry, if all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get far. That's easy to do. And, and if all we're going to do is pull down statues and scream at people, then seriously, what's the point? You know, history teachers love to say that we, we learn from the past to stop it happening again. And I'm not sure we actually do. We need to put our, where our money, where our mouth is and show that then, don't we? Like we're saying, yeah. if, you, yeah. if you have to assess and have a conversation and have an advisory board, I think there are five people sitting in this Zoom chat that were saying we would donate some of our time to being on that advisory board and mm -hmm. talking to people and actually properly assessing the value of individual monuments. Um, Zach, thank you for that. I think that, like you say, that quote is perfect. Um, and I think it's important for everyone to say that, that Zach was quoting... Obama there so don't come at him with the whole idea of having a go at Wokes because he was making a point based on a very intelligent man's summary of the situation. <laughs> James? Um, I, I was sort of thinking uh, the one we have to point out I think as historians that there's very little difference between the far left and the far right. Um, we've seen cultural Marxism um, come out this week and as expected um, I think a lot of people put on Twitter was that, you know, that the far left comes out and then the far right appears. And it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that somebody mm -hmm. will say something will happen and something else will happen. Uh, I think always though the, the simple way, and I, I sometimes feel that maybe academics go, you know, scream at this is um, if you kind of bury the past or uh, you remove these statues that future generations have nothing to learn from. And that kind of is a bit of an open-ended argument. You'd say, well, we've got history books, we've got history qualifications and everything else. Uh, but we all know that public policy um, and, and driven by is not driven by historians. And actually, there's very few people nowadays probably with a history qualification involved in public policy. Mm. Um, so I do think there's always a question to do with um, if we bury or destroy or however you want to put it. Um, does that question which some ask, um, can we repeat history? Is it going to happen again if we get rid of it? And, and there's, there's pros and cons against that argument. Um, but I think statues also expose maybe kind of like uh, mobilities in our, in our society to learn from. But for too long, there's been kind of an unfair balance holding the ransom, uh, holding the past to ransom. Um, particularly Britain, and I, I think there's, there's Britain and Europe and the rest of the world we've got to be careful of, but um, usually Britain's past compared to other nations by modern standards, uh, when the past is a product of their times, it must be considered so, but uh, for too long people have, have got away with lying about the past is equally as about lying for the, the present, and if you look at this whole movement recently about statues, some of these lies are succeeding um, because people aren't desiring better. And I think this was from an earlier comment. They're not building a, arguing about building a better tomorrow. We're kind of arguing about stuff in the past and diverting resources to it instead of maybe, I don't know, focusing on COVID-19 instead. But, um, but behind them, you start digging into this, is an attack on capitalism. I, I noticed the website that has about pulling these statues down. It says about removing President Trump from office. Uh, one could say, well, what are our statues to do with, with President Trump. So people are kind of being played by these, uh, some of these agendas behind it. Um, and that's, that's not really fair, I think, on, on having a discussion in our country. It's also worth underlining that the fact we live in such a free country is that we can have discussions about these statues. Yep, absolutely.
And I've also something else I picked up on is, is something which uh, might be slightly theoretical, but um, it's this post-colonial guilt um, in yes. Europe, in Britain, and, and we're summing up ourselves by collectively our worst moments and on the flip side of a country's um, by their best. And I, I think this is really demoralizing, not only to the debate, um, but also our, our identity as well, because I think anybody um, would understand that human nature, I, th- I think it was quoted earlier, um, Barack Obama's statement, is messy. Um, and it's kind of saying, well, all our nations are terrible and we've never done anything good. Um, there's no way of putting it, but that's a lie. Yeah. And humanity will always remain messy. I think the fact that we seem, these people seem to think that we're striving for a, a place where we can say we are squeaky clean now because we ripped all these statues down and we, we uh, pilloried ourselves and flagellated ourselves for all the wrongs we ever did and now we're perfect. That's never going to happen. You're on a hiding to nothing. No, and I, I think also the past, something that's changed, and I know this is something we've been discussing quite a bit in the Department of War Studies, is um, this kind of uh, society's um, concern about engaging in ideas because of, of what in the past ideas led to. You think of the 20th century, it led to the two worst pillars there is, there's communism and fascism. So now there's almost this kind of guilt of and this fear in society of engaging in ideas. So what do statues represent? Well, for many people, those statues represent a past where political ideas were being thrown around that led to, you know, things like the terrors of the 20th century um, that, of course, people don't really feel comfortable discussing anymore. The flip side of that is because we're not talking about it, then we end up in a scenario where things are made very black and white and we start tearing down statues where really we, we don't understand them in the slightest. Guys, I think we have 100%. Um, I know we're biased, but vindicated our opinion that history does matter. Yeah, completely. I mean, the bottom line is is this, isn't it? That history is the study of human beings. Human beings are deeply flawed. We have to accept that. We have to confront that. And we have to find a way to reconcile that within the national narrative and do something positive off the back of having that conversation mm. and, and just tearing them down and hiding them from view, in my opinion, and I've probably said far too much on this, <laughs> is that we're not doing that if we just take them down we need to confront it no i think you've made a really valuable contribution zach and i I think that is a a great place to end um guys thank you so much for having well the guts basically because like i said you are all young white men um therefore you're about the only group that it is okay to completely flagellate um, and scream at um without any comeback and you've all come on and and honestly given your opinion as to why the way that some people wanted to to approach this is not right and why history does matter and why it has to be taken into consideration so thanks a lot for coming on because i think it was a really engaging conversation um not really a debate because we're mostly on the same page but in the same way we don't agree on all of it 100% and we've just been grown ups about it and i think what we're saying is that everyone else needs to follow that lead Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Join us a bit later on when we will be talking to Peter Caddick Adams and Roger Morehouse about Churchill. Uh, We've tagged this as an idiot's guide to Churchill, but essentially what we're doing is you can't cover the man in one podcast. So we have taken all of the accusations leveled at him last week in that total shitstorm online and we've addressed them 
one by one. So we'll be talking about genocide, we'll be talking about the famine in Bengal, we'll be talking about whether he was a white supremacist or not, and bringing some context and some nuance that is not possible to do on Twitter when people are just shrieking at each other. We'll be bringing that to a conversation where you can sit and if you were of a mind to educate yourself on Churchill and understand what was being said and events that were referenced in context with history like a grown-up. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.